<laughs> Welcome to Watch Out, where we dig through our DVD dungeon, where we scour the endless streaming landscape, all to help you find some kick-ass horror movies. Hello and welcome to Watch Out, the horror movie review podcast where our goal is to provide you with spoiler-free reviews and recommendations for both recent fright flicks and horror classics. I am Jason the Terrible, broadcasting from Ottawa, Ontario, and with me tonight from Vancouver, BC, is Slice and Dice and Dave. Hello! And that's right, no Grave Robber Jeff tonight, but on this very special episode we are happy to welcome a special guest. He is a stand-up comedian, the writer-director behind the short horror films Caw and Racist, and he's here tonight to talk about his latest project, All Your Friends Are Dead. Please put your hands together for Ricky Glore. Oh, thank you so much. What a delightful intro. I have Mr. Just let people know, I have Mr. Ricky Glore written on the name tag you guys gave me in the podcasting recording forum. So I already knew that I was coming into some real professional shit. It's our version of the red carpet. You know, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> you know, we've got a plaque made up and everything because you're our official first guest on this show. Holy on- moly. I am so honored. I mean, technically we did in our practice episode have our mom come on, but I don't think that counts. <laughs> Uh, that was that was very sweet of her. Very sweet that she'd do that. What? But, wait, uh, wait, wait. So, did your mom, with you guys growing up, did she watch any horror movies with you to like bond or not? So was she much. Was like abhorrent to them? Okay. She wasn't abhorrent, um, but we spent a lot of our childhood kind of lobbying to to be allowed to watch these things. Was but, there an age uh, that you broke her where you're like, yeah, that like we got us, we got to see them now, mom. Oh, Evil dear. Dead. I need to see that tree raping scene, Mom. <laughs> she understood when we brought that up. But yeah, no, I'd say probably about six <laughs> six years old for me. I was starting to see uh, maybe not the really bad ones, but some of the uh, the the non tree rapey ones. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's some in- earnest, scared, stupid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That one's still still pretty spooky. That one. But oh, uh, that one's terrifying. <laughs> Dave benefited from myself and and his other older brother blazing the trail a little bit for him. Yeah, that you, true, you yeah. paved the way. My dad, on the other hand, was more than happy to inundate me in like the worst horror as a young child because he uh, I, I didn't I didn't sleep a lot as a little one, and so it was always his duty to stay up with me late. And I think if he was like well, if he's not going to sleep, I'm just going to show him the scariest stuff anyway. So let's watch all the Hammer horror movies. Then let's watch Phantasm. And, oh, have you heard of The Furious Vampire Lovers? And so, like, my sexuality was definitely understood and peaked at a very young age, too, because of those movies. I got to ask, were you not sleeping because you were watching a lot of horror movies, though? <laughs> probably. Okay. Yeah, that probably was the, yeah, it probably went hand in hand. There you go. Well, our parents do the best they can, so. <laughs> well, I tell you what there, uh, Ricky, I, I spent the morning watching a couple of short films, and they were they were made by you. So can you believe this? Um, I started with Caw, <laughs> and, I, and I tell you what, that was uh, quite the scene, man. I, I I didn't know what to think, and then and then how we're left, I was like, ooh, that's kind of kind of spooky, and it kind of left me wanting more. So where where did you get the idea of that particular film? No Call film? actually came from. Um, it was we filmed that a week before 
the world shut down with the pandemic back in March 2020. Mm-hmm. And it was originally shot with a, an amazing crew, cast, special effects team, kind of donating their time. I mean, we had a crane shot at the, the at, there at the end, which someone pulling up a semi-truck-sized crane for this no-budget sh- short film, which was originally a proof of concept for a, a feature script that I have called Camp Jallo. I was going to use that scene to try and help get funding for the feature and use the same team and be like, all right, now we have money and you can get paid and we're going to film this whole thing next year. And then the world shut down and it was like, fuck, okay. um, (laughs) uh, This feature script has over 60 females in it and takes place at a women's, all women's commune. I don't think we're going to be able to make this movie anytime soon with the numbers restrictions that we have. Hard to socially distance 60 females at a women's commune. So Especially, <laughs> like, there is some um, trippy cult scenes that happen in there that, yeah, we wouldn't have been, they, could, they couldn't have been separated. So that is a little bit why you almost feel like you're dropped into that short. And it's hard to call it a short because I know there isn't narratively like a, a short film is different from a feature where a feature is like a, a beginning, middle and end. A short film is almost more like a joke where there's the setup and then the punchline. Hmm. And some of them do have a beginning, middle and end, a clearer narrative, but a lot of really good short films that hook you in. Like I said, I liken it more to, I think of a, a stand-up's joke and right. call <laughs> doesn't call purposely opens like that because you're supposed to be like what is going on so that's that's cool to 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 hear that you had a whole feature plan behind it because it does leave you wanting more it does hook you in and you compare it to the other short you did which does have the beginning middle and the end to it i haven't watched a lot of shorts myself i just Mm -hmm. kind of assumed that these were the two form factors that kind of happen the most often you can have the beginning, middle, of the end, or you can have one that just happens and you're you're left wondering what just happened. I thought it was interesting to watch those two styles from you, uh, one after the other. But I'm definitely interested that if you ever well, if you ever see that one through to fruition, you know, I think it would be a really cool concept. I, I really love the the script. The the one concession that I did have to make, as much as I am a a horror nerd. Um, especially within the last year of a couple things that I've seen of like Fear Street 1994 and a classic horror story that's on Netflix. As a comedian, you're always told, think that your audience is as smart as you or smarter. So never pander, never play down. Always assume they know where you're going as long as it's funny. Mm -hmm. With horror, so that original script that became Call was called Camp Giallo. Because within the movie, yellow plays a big factor, um, even to the methodology of the all-women's commune uh, and and their ideology. They actually kind of worship the color yellow. So it had a deeper meaning than being an homage or tipping off to classic horror fans that this is going to be the style and the kind of vein of horror movie that it is. But after talking to enough people that don't have the horror knowledge that I have or have been exposed to as much... They're like, oh, Camp Giallo, like, what is that? Camp Jello? Like, what What does that mean? <laughs> and it's like, oh, fuck. Like, okay. The the Crow, which, again, this is before the world shut down. This mm-hmm. is before we knew it was a global pandemic. The look of the killers is very specifically in the script, Yellow Rain Slicker and Crow Mask. 
mm-hmm. and the crow the bird actually plays a big part in the feature script. So that's how, why they look that way. And then, you know, a week after we filmed this global pandemic and you're seeing all those memes with the plague masks. And I was like, Holy shit, we were real prescient. We should release this now. <laughs> yeah, son of a- um, yeah. And so, but I changed it to the name call. It was simple and it doesn't completely deviate from what I wanted it to be. But I knew like, the the girl the young girl being pregnant and that kind of having that cult feeling at the end and even their weapons like that kind of talon shaped blade that was a very cool knife yeah it, it, all of it had like <laughs> someone asked me about all your friends are dead um and call they're like oh so your mask and all your friends are dead is very unique and i'm like yes even like call before i really knew what the story was i was like okay I know I'm going to have a look of a killer and it's a masked killer. I can't just throw anything on them. Well, the mask I, it, is it, so important, right? It, become, it it's, Yes. It has the potential of being the icon of your movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Besides even thinking of like franchise purposes, like always a little voice in back of my horror nerd mind. I'm like, man, Deborah Hill and John Carpenter almost picked a rubber clown mask for Halloween. Mm-hmm when it was still called babysitter murders luckily the crew was like no you need to because it made sense like michael is dressed up as a clown at the opening so for him as an adult to be wearing a rubber clown mask narratively it makes sense but thank god they kind of tripped into developing this other iconic shape this kind of like faceless killer even though it's Captain Kirk. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, we, what what could have been? What could have been? Hey, jeez. We, we just had a Halloween episode uh, released a couple weeks ago, and would we be talking about that movie 40 years later if he was wearing a clown mask? You know, I often ask the same thing of, like, the original Psycho. That last 10-minute uh, scene when they're in the police station and the, the doctor is explaining Norman's psychosis and kind of doing a really big uh, epilogue kind of exposition dump to help the audience in 1960 understand why he did what he did and his split personality. I often wonder, would psycho be held up as in as much regard if that had been explained earlier in the movie mm, no, if we exactly. understood norman bates more and i often wonder could you lose that scene and the movie works better both good questions yeah exactly. so, so to go back with with racist and call so call filmed with a red camera uh dp i directed it from a monitor which was very weird because i'm used to theatrical directing uh doing musicals and plays and Then Racist was in February. I had actually come off a 14-day quarantine from getting COVID myself. And, uh, yeah, it it was a very weird time. And I was already looking at doing it with a much smaller crew and a much smaller production. So I was already planning on shooting it with my iPhone. And I had a cage for the iPhone and through Moondog Labs... Uh, had an anamorphic lens and some uh, filters for it to make it look and feel the best as possible. And even originally was going to use a gimbal and a couple lockdown slider shots. And once I realized how stable Filmic Pro was, that app mm-hmm. on your phone, to yeah. film, uh, I just used the cage the whole time and, and I loved it. It was weird being my own DP after 
the high production value of call, but yeah, knowing yeah. that racist was going to lean more, it was going to lean a hundred percent more into humor because there's no humor. In, well, I take that back. I was going to say there's no humor in call, but when the crow mask killers lean out from the very skinny trees that they're not being hidden by, <laughs> like synchronized, uh, we laughed when we did it. And I was like, yes, I love this weird synchronicity that's happening here. And I'm okay. That's a little humorous because we've just been watching a, a pregnant woman get stabbed in her belly and we're just getting ready to see her note, her throat gets sliced vaginally because you never see throats get slashed vertically in horror movies. And there's a reason it's much harder to do for the special effects team. Oh yeah. I was going to say that was, that was quite, um, quite graphic and, and quite seamless. So that was a very good job done there uh, with the old poke to the throat there. <laughs> poke to the throat. <laughs> poke to the that throat. That sounds like something you could order at like uh, a cat house in Vegas. Like, oh, did you come for the poke in the throat? Even, even one of the, you know, off the beaten path barbecue places in Texas or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you like go. A little, you like go. a little poke in the throat with some hot sauce? Uh, exactly. I got to ask, um, before we get too much more into... You know, I, I have more comments about racist, and of course, we've got to get into all your friends are dead. But I think the number one question: you're you're a stand-up comedian. You sound like you've got a huge horror background growing up. So, you know, what kind of came first for you? You know, what is that connection between horror and comedy for you? Uh, the connection is, I would say, the earliest connection would be being introduced to the Universal monster movies. At probably the age of three and four. Like, my first horror movie that I ever remember seeing was the original Nightmare on Elm Street. But it's because mm -hmm. I think my parents thought I was asleep at the foot of their bed when I was three years old. And, I mean, not that that would have stopped my dad from letting me watch it. Well, there's, but there's like, not many three-year-olds can pretend to be asleep through a movie like that. So. <laughs> yeah. Good, well, and like, good job. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I so vividly remember... You would think that the Johnny Depp getting pulled into the bed would be the thing that I would really visually lock in on and the guys are blood. Mm -hmm. No, it's that final uh, second to last scene where Nancy's walking away from the bed that her uh, spirit Halloween skeleton mom just fell into. Just yeah. got, went under. <laughs> um, but it's when Freddy then pops up through the sheets and it's kind of like separating like spandex until he rips it open and then the steam emerges and Heather Langenkamp is framed uh, to the right of the frame, and he's in the back and not in focus, and there's that awesome blue light that Wes uses for nighttime in the original Elm Street. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That just seared into my brain like a, like a famous painting. Um, but uh, I digress into the horror and the comedy. Uh, I also grew up on the Martin and Lewis comedies, the Hope and uh, the Bing Crosby, Bob Hope road pictures, and then seamlessly because i was also watching the universal monsters we watched abbott and costello meet frankenstein that was kind of the first time i recognized that peanut butter and jelly go really well together right like the best comedies have emotion and some relatability and take you to a deeper level because that's why the the laughs pay off so much more mm -hmm. and so i think i think horror is very similar i think some of the best horror 
lulls you in with this relatability of these characters that are deeper. And you're like, I like these people. They're having fun. Nothing could possibly go wrong when they go skinny dipping in that lake they just found. Like, and then it does. And you're like, oh, no, fooled again. I hope Danny doesn't. Oh, and Danny's dead because he just got piked with a spear through his anus. And it's now coming out of his mouth. Um, but again, those are the better ones. So say like your phantasm where mm-hmm. the story is of, I have two older brothers. You guys are brothers uh, about this kid dealing with nightmares, puberty and the loss of his parents. And now the loss of his brother. Um, so there's that great emotional connection there that I think heightens the horror even more. And I think it's very similar to Elm street. The kids the primary struggle exists without Freddy Krueger, which is that their parents don't trust them or believe them. That's a very common thread that you're talking about in in most slashers. Is is how do you separate the characters who are typically teenagers from the safety of their parents? Nightmare on Elm Street goes even further to say, well, your parents are really not going to provide you any safety because, hey, not only are they the reason why Freddy's coming after you, but they mm-hmm. don't believe you. Sins of the father. And it's, it's some, it's, um, I think we all reach an age where we realize our parents are people, that they're not mm-hmm. gods or they're not superheroes, that they're fallible, and that sometimes not only are they wrong, sometimes they're egregiously wrong. Um, and I think Elm Street really exemplifies that because I, I remember Elm Street was one of the, like, both of my brothers are half brothers. Mm-hmm. Elm Street, because I grew up in old television too, like Leave at the Beaver and those old sitcoms, like, yeah. was the first time that I saw Broken Homes. And all the parents, except for Johnny Depp's parents, are, are separated. That's Something that you don't pay a lot of attention to <laughs> unless you're looking for it. I think. Yeah. Because now that you mentioned it, I don't think I ever really realized that. They're yeah, well, and Johnny Depp's parents are, and I don't know if there was a, uh, an active significance of this, his parents are very much older in comparison to what a teenage boy's parents should be. But that's also maybe because of a deleted scene where Marge, when they're in the basement and she takes out the glove from the, the heater, mm-hmm. from the boiler, yeah. and a deleted scene... She tells Nancy that Nancy had a an, a sibling that Freddie killed. Get out of there! Have so, I seen that? I don't know. <laughs> it, it's out there. It's definitely yeah. out there. It yeah. used to be part of the two v, VHS tapes, where also yeah. they showed Johnny Depp's body coming out of the bed after the guys are blood, and it yeah. looks goofy. So that's why they cut it. <laughs> but so I wonder why. Like if, if so, Wes Craven's so smart. If that's why Johnny Depp's parents are older, did they have a kid that got killed by Freddie? And after that kid was killed, they then were like, we want to have another kid. And so maybe they were second kid late in life parents. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Because I mean, I the movie's last, I've yeah. watched that movie a thousand times and it wasn't, yeah. I was writing in Chicago in 2013, 2014. A parody called A Nightmare on Backstreet, a boy band musical parody, (laughs) which was A Nightmare on Elm Street with the music of Backstreet Boys. And I had already seen Nightmare on Elm Street a thousand times. So one week while I was writing the script to make sure that I got the parody down as perfect as I wanted it to be, I watched it every night. And I noticed for the first time ever that before Tina and Rod go to bed after having sex, 
Rod pulls up the Afghan blanket over the top of them, and then it fades to black to go outside the window. The blanket he pulls up is red and green striped. Um, Wes Craven's brilliant. He's, yeah. he's He made a plenty of turds, but for me, he's the horror meister who wins because for like four decades, he had some of the most influential horror movies that exist. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. And I got to say, I like the way you're evaluating these movies. I can tell that you're a screenwriter just because, you know, you know you're 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 adding to the story so seamlessly you're 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 almost making me believe that's what happened well <laughs> sub, subcon well because i think like when coming up with things but i think it's even as a director or producer just having that eye and there's a couple things in all your friends are dead that i hope pay off similarly that you might not get while you're watching it but subconsciously it pulls you in on a deeper level that when things, when the horror happens, you've been pulled to, to see these other things that you don't really recognize the first viewing, but you're connected to the movie in a way that when the horror does happen, you're more, you, you're more a little bit more startled, and you don't know why. Yeah, mm-hmm. it hits harder. So, do you want to? Let's get into all your friends are dead a little bit here. You've got a Kickstarter starting tomorrow. That would be August thirtieth. Yes. I feel like we've got you on Christmas Eve here. You must be pretty. <laughs> you must be pretty excited to get this going. Excited and scared. There are a lot of. Look, we're not asking for a lot, and I don't like to call it donating because that sounds hand to mouth. I like to call it contributing to art. You're making a mm-hmm. contribution because that's how passionately I feel about indie horror films or indie films in general, which I think we're going to see a renaissance, not unlike the nineties with say like uh, Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Smith and Richard Linklater. Um, because the last year, the one thing that it did show us was that we could have international film festivals from the comfort of your home, where you as an audience are seeing things you might not have ever been exposed to. Well, and not only that, but I saw a list of all the different primary camera equipment that was being used in, I forget what the last film festival was, but there were 30 different cameras on there, and a lot of them were iPhones and and things you could buy at Best Buy, right? So the technology is out there that that almost anybody that has a a great idea can make a movie. And I I don't want to sing their praises too much, I mean, even though they deserve it. The Duplass brothers, if you want a a motivational um, speech to get you ramped up almost as if like someone would listen to the Rocky four soundtrack before working out, <laughs> listen to Mark Duplass's South by Southwest speech from like 10 years ago, where he talks about necessity as the mother of invention. They had all the best equipment. They had a huge budget that they spent on an indie film that never saw the light of day. It wasn't until they were desperate and felt like they had to create something that they used a camera that had a dead pixel and they used an idea that his brother Jay had about hardly being able to get through recording his voicemail because he got so anxious and upset about it that they rolled camera and Mark on camera as Jay was the cameraman improvised the sketch that they then cut together, sent to Sundance on a whim and got in. And they are who they are now. Oh, right? Yeah. Like people who have stories to tell will find a story to t- find a way to tell it and it's that leads into how we are making All Your Friends Are Dead right now. We filmed over half the movie because me and a constant collaborator, Nick Hyance, 
I said to him, I was like, man, you know what? I'm 35. There's a lot of societal pressures of things that we should accomplish or have accomplished by the age we're at now. And I, I feel fine with that. I don't feel that pressure, but you know what I do think about? What if we never made a, what if we never forced ourselves to make a feature film 15 years from now, when we're 50, we'll be like, man, I wish that's something I would have tried. Like, so let's, let's try it and fail. We have, we have decent equipment. We have more than what some people have. Like I just shot that short film racist on my iPhone 11. (laughs) Like, and I'm pr- like, I'm proud of it. I like it. It's cheap body horror. Like, I think we have some stories that we could tell. So let's do it. And we knew that we had to do it in a way where we had to write a story that we could get on film realistically. Um, kind of that Kevin Smith, like, do what you have. And even Kevin Smith, great quote says, there's plenty of why people be a why not person. Right. Interesting angle. I never see slasher movies with 35 year olds. Like, what's that like? (laughs) Like, and so we're 35. So let's maybe put in some of our life experience and the movie's very semi autobiographical of what if I hadn't gotten hurt in high school and went to theater? What if I had gotten hurt in college doing sports? And then what if I never got traction and woke up one day thinking best years of my life are behind me and that I decide I'm going to kill myself. I, talk my friends into coming to save me, but unbeknownst to them and me, there's a masked killer in the woods who's going to try to kill all of us. And then my character who's depressive really has to confront, do I want to live or do I want to die? Because if I want to die, that guy's got a mighty big machete and he can make that happen. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you, you ordered the service and it just showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's that fight or flight and it's like, what do you really want? What's important? What do you really want to live for? And like, look, the spoilers are there. The movie's called all your friends are dead. So there's no guessing of what happens, but there is a third act that I don't think you would see coming even as a diehard horror fan. So, we made the first half of the movie with the money we have and what we could have. Everyone's been paid that's worked on it because that's very important for us. And especially for Mm -hmm. young artists, um, for their talents to get compensated appropriately. Mm -hmm. We are looking at the next half of the movie to make in post-production and we need help. Like we just, so we're not sitting on this for a year using what money we have trickling in as it slowly comes together as we edit or, score it and do the sound mix do the color grading and then people i don't think about how much it costs to submit to festivals that's Mm -hmm. a pretty penny Mm -hmm. and that's the only way to get your film in front of people's eyes so in the meantime we're doing this kickstarter to help with those costs and anyone who's like well i would want to see the movie it's why we're offering our, our our number one perk there's only three of them because too many crowd funds offer too many perks is our third one is the blu-ray limited to a hundred copies so if they all sell out they're 80 bucks that means we get eight thousand dollars kind of where we want to get even though our goal is only five thousand the blu-ray you'll get it next year probably around october 2022 but you're guaranteed to get it then no one else is guaranteed to see the movie by this time next year how exciting. Well, I tell you what, one thing that uh, interested me in what you just said there, Ricky, is uh, I work in the film industry myself, and I started off obviously helping out uh, some independents and stuff. And even just giving your crew a little bit of 
of money sure goes a long way. And uh, and you never know those guys come and make it big sometime, help you help you in the future. So that's a very important thing. Yeah, our special effects team, I've gotten a lot of good graces because they're the same people as you talked about, the seamless uh, vertical neck slash and call. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the same team that did the special effects for Racist. It's the same team that are doing the special effects for All Your Friends Are Dead. And they have notable credits in the special effects, visual effects, practical effects realm. They worked on Haunt, which was written by the guys who wrote A Quiet Place. They worked mm-hmm. on uh, Candy Corn, which is a, a nice, gory uh, cult horror movie that came out a couple years ago. They worked on Terror Trips, which was originally titled On Location with Felicia Rose, which is coming out next year. Hillbilly Elegy, um, one of our special effects, uh, one of the guys that built the cyst or helped assist. He assisted building the cyst in racist. Yeah, assist assistants. um, And who also he's done some uh, really great, great, gory effects for All Your Friends Are Dead. He is the makeup and special effects uh, captain at the USS Nightmare, which is one of the most notorious haunts in the United States right now because it's a boat that is on the Ohio River between Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky. So I feel very fortunate that people of their stature and their talent see something in what we've already produced and see something in this project that they're like, okay, it's worth lowering our fees a little bit to see this come to fruition. That is, that is high praise. Absolutely. And, and I got to tell you, I think you've helped me realize one of the things that truly grosses me out. And I've seen a lot of, (laughs) I've seen a lot of horror movies, but I've realized that something that really gets me is to see that pus oozing out, (laughs) you know, um, took me right back to when I first saw that slumber party massacre two scene. (sighs) Yes, yes, when she's in the bathroom. Yeah, that traumatized oh. me back then. I, I just recently rewatched it, and, and, and I knew it was coming. I could see the stages of the makeup. It didn't shock uh-huh. me as much, but, but man, that one was hard for me to watch. And so just the subtlety that the effect was pulled off in Racist was, was brilliant because it's not an overly gory uh, short in this case. Right. Um, the the horror is is quite different. Again, it's um, where the horror in racist or where in horror and call starts off. It's like it's this uh, woman who's being terrorized and she's pregnant. So immediately you're like, oh, pregnant woman in peril. No, thank you. I'm scared for her. I already have maybe. Or I'm hoping you you're drawn to an emotional connectivity of wanting her to to succeed and be safe. Where racist, I think the inherent horror starts because of this guy's internal racism and. I was saying before, I think there was way more humor, even though there is a lot of poignancy in racist. Uh, and it's hard as a filmmaker who is a middle-aged white man to address that and not feel pompous or, or you know, taking on a cause or a challenge that isn't my own. But I more wanted to shed a light and open up some communication of kind of like that Avenue Q song, like everyone's a little bit racist. So, like, what if this guy who has this internal racism, like a thermometer, he just had instance after instance in one day that it shot that thermometer up over 100 and it just manifested into this literal cyst? It's like almost a Cronenbergian body horror thing, right? Someone someone reviewed it recently and said, uh, 
not unlike Cronenberg's The Brood has blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. I was like, just having anything I've ever done mentioned in the same world as Cronenberg, that's high praise. I, I can, I can, my cup will be runneth over for the rest of my life. Right on. So getting back to All Your Friends Are Dead, I, I like the, the concept behind it. It's funny though, you're talking about bringing in you know, the 35-year-olds into a slasher movie. Um, I'm sitting here having just turned 44, and I'm like, you're bringing this, you know, one generation later, and I'm still too old for it. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's someone said, uh, I was talking to a, a lady a couple weeks ago uh, who was doing a piece on the Kickstarter, and she's like, uh, I just turned 33. Fuck you. And I was just like, <laughs> look, no, no. What I'm saying is that people aren't over the hill. What I'm really saying is us as a society. Look, I also don't believe the, like the, oh, 50 is the new 30. And it's like, no, it's not. Because I'm already 35 and having to wake up two times a night to pee. Like, if then what is 35? The new 15? And I'm pretty sure I didn't do that when I was 15. It's, it's how we view some sex of society to be like, well, what have you accomplished? What have you lost? Cause also 35 is the age where a lot of people have been divorced and are starting to look to have their second marriage. Yep. So there are uh, 35 is the age of, if you are a young success, you you've achieved, you've really made an achievement because you've really sacrificed a lot and you must be very smart. And you must be very savvy to be successful at that age. There's just a lot of things weirdly about the age of 35 that I think fits nicely with the horror genre of being like, well, if they're not the parents of the stranger thing, kids, what if they were in the horror movie? Like what if the stranger things were happening to them? To the yeah, like yeah, they have sure. a knowledge, they have a life that's that is lived. When it's the teenagers, they're like, oh, "We have no inhibitions," and like, "I'm never gonna die." Woo! <laughs> and like yeah. the 35 year olds are like, "I take diabetes medication. I <laughs> have a urinary tract infection every so often." You know, like there's just so many things that like aren't in the mind of a young person that are when you're 35. I just was kind of like oh okay let's see that like what is that and maybe it's never been done because it's not interesting i don't know you're on to something though because in the 80s the the audience that was watching the 80s slasher movies and the 80s horror movies is now 35 40 45 years old mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how many movies are relating to those of us in middle age now, where the viewer is not kind of thinking in the back of their head, well, okay, is this appropriate that I'm I'm watching all these young nubile teenagers get <laughs> off? You know, like we're watching them get off and get off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But but maybe I mean it's probably because there's nothing more tragic than seeing a headstone at a cemetery and you see the birth year and then you do the quick math when you see their death date and you're like oh they were only 17 yeah. i feel bad for that like there's there's yeah there's that um, there's immediate like sadness or just horror where you're just like oh what happened to them like yeah. it probably was a tragic accident or something very sad and there's that visceral like connection but i'm sure that's why they they do that but as a, as a fan and a lover of horror movies, I wanted to use 
that knowledge of everything that you just said, the people who are now parents of these kids yeah. and being mm-hmm. like, oh, this one's for me. It's like when I was a young teen, I, I didn't worry about uh, dying here and there. You know what I'm saying? But now that I'm, <laughs> dying here I'm and there. yeah, I'm 30, 37 and I got kids and stuff and I'm like, I'm scared to death to die because, you know, you don't want to. I want to leave your kids on in a lurch or you know what I'm saying? So, 100%. Yeah. I think I think there's a purpose of why. I think there's definitely a reason why I wrote this um my daughter's too. And yeah. so yeah. I kind of wrote this after I started writing this this idea outlining it right after she was born cuz I was just like, "Oh, it would be sad to my wife and sad to my family, but there's this selfish sadness that even if I died when she was 3, what makes me really sad, and again, it's selfish, she would never remember me. Yeah, right? no, that's the thing, right? See? So there you go. I think it's I think it's more tragic if a 35-year-old were to die these days. <laughs> so there you go. It's, so this is this is the greatest greatest horror movie concept ever created right here. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, yes. Bring it I, on. So, but I think it speaks to why we watch horror as well. Right. Like when mm-hmm. we're kids, we're watching horror to desensitize us just enough so that we're not scared of every shadow around the corner. I imagine horror aimed at people our age, it would be deaths coming a lot sooner than it was back then. You know, so you're is this another way of, of dealing with that? And that, and that, that is 100 percent something that uh, I, I thought about was, well, when I was 20, like, which is a very average age of kids in horror movies, 35, 15 years seemed like forever. From 20 to 35 seemed like unfathomable. Hmm. Now that I'm 35, that same 15 years to 50 seems like it's right around the corner. So uh, when I when we decided that I would be in the movie and what the story would be, and because the story is very personal because it's about someone who hurt their knee playing sports. I hurt my knee playing sports. Who gained a considerable amount of weight after doing so. I gained a considerable amount of weight after doing so. So there's a lot of things that's like, okay, well, I guess I'm the lead because I'm dependable and because this is about me. So that's you covered in all the blood on there, right? It was a little hard to tell. because That's me. Yes, it's okay. very quick cuts because it is a teaser. Um, man, nothing better than that. Uh, <laughs> multiple days uh, filming one segment of a scene, but having to do it in multiple days and get recovered head to toe in blood and then crawl around a dirt floor. Is the $5,000 you're looking for, is that just the... Just blood. Blood? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the... That's what it cost every day for me to be covered in head-to-toe blood. I will say this, though. Our special effects team, because this isn't their first rodeo, their uh, mixture for blood looks great. Uh, Well, sorry, I should say their... Are you guys aware that there's a bunch of different ways to make blood based on what it's going to be on? Yeah, I guess so. So I, I don't think I thought of that, but he, Jason Irvin, who's the head of uh, makeup and special effects, he's like, okay, so when we have uh, the blood that's going to be on the machete, 
say when we when we dress that up um we're using this blood because this look this blood looks better on metal so this blood that's going on the shirt is going to be this blood now that's not the same blood that we're putting in your mouth and that's not the same blood that we're pouring all over you it's this fifth blood over here (laughs) because the consistency and i was just like what i love that that is it is that specific and whatever you do don't mix them up (laughs) yes don't put well they're all luckily edible in some way it's just depending on like how much you want it to be in your mouth yeah editable Um, editable edible sounds a bit uh stretching it the way you said that yes yeah it's not going to make you gag or throw up so uh what's your ultimate goal from making this uh, feature film in the end, are you are you looking at just the feeling that you made yourself a feature film, or are you trying to get it out to some festivals? What what would you like to see uh, when this does get made? Oh, sorry. What is my like the ultimate the jackpot? Goal. What is the yeah lottery? yeah? Well, yeah. I mean, goal. I, I I'm someone who's always had many goals. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if you just don't have one big overarching goal, you're co- you're uh, constantly accomplishing things. So yeah, like yeah. the first goal is getting the thing completed and watchable. Well, I Good guess time, getting yeah. the thing completed, then getting it watchable, then yeah. getting it to a place that is entertaining. Making art is for the artist and to express what his vision is. My feeling, and it's just mine, is that all it should be entertaining. To someone yeah. else, to an audience, because if it's not, you're just masturbating. And there are some people that want to watch masturbation. That's cool too. I didn't um, know it was that kind of movie. <laughs> Wait a, but Wait no, a I, I don't. I don't want it to be like. I'm not saying it's going to be pandering, but I want mm-hmm. it to entertain, and I want people to enjoy watching it and not being like, "Oh man, that thing sucked." And then you just keep on going because the reason why you're doing it is to tell these stories and hopefully enough people get entertained by it that they then pay for you to continue living your dream telling yeah. these stories it's a uh, one question it, it, does all your friends are dead is there some comedic elements to it yes. or is it more just okay gotcha gotcha 100% it's not there's not slapstick there's not parody it's not incredibly mm-hmm. meta like scream it's meta yeah. in the sense of there's that line that's like when you're 30, you know, when we were here when we were kids, I never realized that we're basically in the setting of a horror movie. Uh, but now that I'm 35, I'm not worried because 35-year-olds die from heart disease, diabetes, cancer. You know, they don't die from chainsaws, knives, and machetes. <laughs> Nothing sexy like that. Um, yep. So, like, there's there's that kind of awareness that horror movies exist and awareness to their surroundings and observations and then there is some dark humor kind of at the beginning that isn't necessarily played for laughs like oh they're gonna howl at this because like nick hyans when we decided yes we're gonna put our money where our mouth is and we're gonna make a 90 minute movie we're gonna make a feature he said i really don't want to make a horror movie (laughs) he said can we make a comedy can you write a comedy and i said unfortunately i'm not funny enough oh okay i gotta <laughs> um, jump on i gotta jump on that one so yeah as a stand-up comedian that seems like an interesting thing to say stand-up is not my favorite form of creative expression i did stand-up and i can do stand-up and i like doing stand-up and i love entertaining and it does pay some bills but i like collaborating and so mm-hmm. i like working with more people so like sketch and improv 
sketch more than improv. I, I, I love the getting the people in the room and the ideas bouncing and growing and going someplace you might not have ever thought it would go. It's the same with filmmaking. I have comedic things I could write, and I think the best way to approach it, similarly as a horror movie, is to come at it in an earnest manner. Just write it from my heart, and there will be some honest comedic moments in it, and then maybe those could get played up when you're making it, or at the table read, or when it starts getting collaborative. Comedies have a very short shelf life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying all your friends are dead is going to be watched 20 years from now except for maybe me drinking myself to death being like i wasted ten thousand dollars on this thing but so like comedies like even thinking like some of our our favorite comedies growing up like i loved road trip with tom yeah. green sean William scott breck and myers and then i watched it like 10 years later and i was like oh no it's okay that Ricky 10 years ago like this, but like this, I'm not the luck. I am. Thank God. Not the same person that liked that. Well, and society is society is not the same society as it was back then too. And, and it shouldn't be, but we should yeah. be okay with like the kids. I think there should still be teen sex comedies like American. Well, there's things about American Pie that I think actually hold up a little bit more because, again, the honesty and the purity of puberty and mm-hmm. sexual awakening and discovery that I think will always ring true. But, like, here's an example that I give because I think Patton Oswalt hit the hit the ball out of the park. He has a hard time watching Ghostbusters now. Oh. And that's because Vinkman. Bill Murray is a delight to watch. Bill Murray's character is very rapey. And very gross towards women. So when he's watching that, yeah, when he's watching that with his daughter now, I mean, Patton Oswalt was a a young single guy without a child for a lot of years. So him looking at someone like Bill Murray, who isn't necessarily like classically attractive, being like, well, Bill Murray can get any lady he wants. So can I. And then you watch it now with your young, impressionable daughter who you're trying to teach about humanity and gender and how men should treat you. And he's watching it with her and he's like, Oh no, this is a problem. And it feels like this is a, this is a huge conversation we could have just about this. Well, I'm someone who does stand up in, uh, I'm, I'm a clean stand up traditionally. My, my comedy special is on dry bar comedy, which is known as a clean comedy, uh, app. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I constantly get asked, you know, this day and age in, in, in the comedy world, how is it for me on the road? And I play a lot of rural areas. I luckily can play four corners of the United States, which means, uh, and I didn't know this until a couple years ago, and I did uh, some shows in California. Uh, my first of that tour was on the Sunset Strip at El Cid in L.A. And I was nervous because I'm a, nor- I'm a comedian from northern Kentucky that talks about my wife, and then not at that time, but... Now I talk about my wife and my child and my home life and nerdy things like my examination of horror movies and how my wife hates when a dog appears in a horror movie. And she says, they better not lay a finger on that dog or I'm going to turn off this movie. And I'm the one that has to be like, well, luckily, honey, the hockey mask killer kills adults, teenagers, very small children, but has a soft spot for shih tzus. (laughs) So like, I, 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 I infuse, I worried that I 
wouldn't have anything relatable, but everyone has a parent. Everyone has had a significant other, usually in some way, mm-hmm. by a certain age. And I continue to also examine what I find humorous. So like horror movies, I talk about a thing now in my new hour where I thank God that cell phones didn't exist in horror movies. So like to make it short, I won't tell the whole joke, but like what if Janet Lee, before pulling into the Bates Motel, checked its Yelp review? <laughs> she probably wouldn't have stayed there. Like, yeah. Um, and so then I also talk about like uh, showering. So I go from that to showering scenes in horror movies that they're, they're not realistic. None of them are because none of them have involved me scrubbing areas and finding spots on my body that I didn't know existed and singing a top forties hit song off key as the killer walks it, you know, I got sand in there. Really? (laughs) Oh, Oh, uh, one finger. Oh, all right. Um, Well, so I hope we've hit you with a couple of questions maybe that you haven't been asked yet. No, you, you definitely have. And if you both could, um, just for my selfish reasons, could you each ask two questions that you don't think anybody else has asked? Like, I love it when someone comes in with a different approach, as you guys have in a couple different areas. But I want to give you the opportunity to do it one last time. When it comes to All Your Friends Are Dead, what, what movie do you hope it does not resemble in any way? <laughs> What movie do I hope that it doesn't resemble? There's like three that flooded to my brain very, very quickly. Um, I like the emotional responses, yes. You know, the, oh the reflections. Oh my God. I, I'm thinking of, I'm trying to think of what is the the best one to say without like just pissing off so many people. <laughs> Well, that's where the fun of it is, I think. I know, I know. Yeah, no, and I love that. I'm going to say Friday the 13th, part three. Okay. Oh, So you're not doing it in 3D, is what you're saying. (laughs) It's not in 3D, which before I knew the movie was in 3D when I used to watch it on VHS as a kid. Like, I was like, man, they need to cut 30 seconds of this yo-yo playing into the camera. (laughs) This is doing nothing for me. But no, the reason why I say that is because... There's so much inauthentic, so much inauthenticity inauth- of characters in that movie. The relationships, even, yeah. Yeah, even to like the the leather wearing street toughs that they piss off at the grocery, at the mart, that them come out. And I'm like, look, movie, you're third, you're three in, and you're realizing that you're making the same fucking movie every time. So now you have to introduce some outside horror of these bikers. Who you're never really sure, you're never really sure who the leader is, you know? No, no. And there's the one female. So it's like, is this a triangle situation? Like a menage a trois? Like that movie, I, I've, I've gone on record and it's going to bite me in the ass. And Adam Marcus, who wrote and directed Jason Goes to Hell, is a friend of mine. So he's probably going to have to distance himself from me after I say these things. But. (laughs) I get so annoyed at the horror community online for constantly bitching in Facebook groups and on um, on Reddit where they talk about that there's not enough originality in the horror genre, that mm. there's too many bad reboots and remakes, and why do they keep on making them? Well, it's because you keep on giving them your money, and <laughs> when you're given the opportunity to crowdfund something, 
you don't give it to the independent movie like All Your Friends Are Dead. You give it to the Jason Voorhees fan film. Yeah. <laughs> where you can see Jason in the snow and it gets like $150,000 for a movie that can't legally make money. And I say that it can't legally make money, but I wonder where all that money goes to. But it, it's the age old question. You know, you, you want something new, but then you sit down to watch it and you're like, well, I don't like this. It's not what I expected, you know? So that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest issues I mentioned earlier, which it almost stifled me from finishing the, the trilogy was fear street, 1994, where mm-hmm. you can say homage all day, but I think there's, I mean, maybe there's not a difference. Maybe homage and ripping off is the same thing, but that shot for shot kill of, of Maya Hawk in the mall. Yeah. That was, the that's, yeah. that's Drew Barrymore from Scream. Like, even yeah. to the slow motion and the choreography, even to the uh, the hallway scene in the high school, when mm-hmm. the kid ran by in the skeleton costume, and the one character's like, oh man, it's like Halloween around here. I'm like, that's fucking Matthew Lillard scene <laughs> from Scream! Like, movie, when are you going to become your own thing? And luckily, I felt like it did in 19, the 1978 one, and then the 1666. Yeah. yeah, and then let me open the can of worms and just say Halloween twenty eighteen. Oh my God! Do you want to do you want to hear my diatribe or do you want to well, to wrap I, up the episode? I have a feeling I know where you're going to go with that. I feel kind of kindred with you right now, like just waiting for that movie to be its own thing, as opposed to just just uh, reference after reference after reference to the previous episodes. I I agree with you in that. My biggest, and I am, it's only because if you have, it's look, there's plenty of comic book fans that are like, why did you make an inferior movie when you had the template of the comic to just base the script off of? With Halloween 2018, they eradicated Halloween 2 through uh, Curse of Michael Myers because they wanted to erase the familial tie-in between Laurie and Michael. Yep. What's hard about that is it's very similar to George Lucas's Star Wars trilogy, the original, where them being brother and sister was introduced in the first NBC broadcast movie of the week of Halloween, where they had to film additional scenes because they had to cut too much. But to make the runtime of an hour and a half on TV, they had to film additional stuff. And they're making Halloween 2, where they already knew they're going to be revealed as brother and sister. So they added a scene of it being revealed that they're brother and sister in the made-for-TV broadcast of the original Halloween. A lot of people can't don't remember where they saw Halloween for the first time. Yeah. Was it on that TV broadcast? Was it at the drive-in? Was it at the theater? Was it on home video? Blah, blah, blah. So take that away, where its own timeline is messy. They want to make Halloween 2018 a sequel without them being brother and sister. Okay, you know what you just did by her, but they also want Lori to be batshit crazy as if she's gone through a lot. Yeah. And to be Rambo. The, in Sarah, Con- the Sarah Connor thing. Yeah. Exactly. They want her to be Ellen Ripley, but crazy like Sarah Connor. Okay, you don't get that when you erase Halloween 2 through Curse, uh, through H2O. You can't have that because you don't have all the trauma that Lori Strode went through to get to the point that you want to have her at in the 2018 movie. Right. Cause yes, it's traumatic to have two or three of your friends die 40 years ago, but you don't become what she became. What you do become is a great portrayal of her from Halloween one. Then that happening later that night at the hospital, then her having to give up her daughter in a faked car accident 
killing to then have it be Jamie in four and five. You get that when you portray Lori in H2O, an alcoholic, overbearing mother. Yeah. They, they're banking on that people have seen those other movies, that they're allowed to take the character there in the 2018. But the story they're telling is that she didn't have all those other experiences. The fact that they're referencing everything, but they're saying that it doesn't exist anymore, is just, it confuses people, you know? The viewer is not erasing those movies, even right. if the story is. So, but they're act, yeah, and they're and they're playing off that. Now, that's not to say like we're talking about the blend of comedy and horror. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride and Jordan Peele are some of the best that are that are making that transition. And mm-hmm. having just seen Candyman, you know that Jordan Peele produced and co-wrote, I'm excited to see what maybe other. I mean, Dan Aykroyd is a great example of someone from the comedy world dipping their toe into something uh, paranormal or horror-esque. That's a good segue into my second question. Um, I'm giving you, Dave, a few extra minutes to think of your two questions. I was going to say, I was gonna say I, I've, I've thought of one. I wasn't thinking of my second one, so, so go on. Well, this segue is just so good. What's harder, to scare somebody or to make them laugh? I think it's the same. I think to get a good laugh you are having to tie into some 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 sort of relatable emotion and then you turn it on its head there's a juxtaposition of then where the joke goes or a misdirect mm-hmm. or it's so relatable that when you heightenly i, I don't think heightenly is a word but when you in a heightened we'll, way we'll accept uh, it <laughs> when you reveal what the joke is in a heightened sense it it elicits this visceral reaction, which is a laugh because also people in those permutations and settings know I'm at a comedy show. So this is what is expected. So they're a little bit more open to it and susceptible. I think similarly for horror in horror, if you can get them laughing or loose and relating in the beginning, and then you turn it and you scare them or you make them fearful for the characters they've now create, they've now created a connection to, or have related to, then I think it elicits that same visceral response. They know they're in a horror movie, so they're looser, in a sense, to be scared and be taken by it. So you'll get that, oh, or like, oh, like that reaction where they turn away. Yeah. Because yeah, they know it's not real. You know it's not real. But like, I will still, when Norman Bates grabs the blade of the knife in Psycho 2 as he's being backed up the stairs. And his hands just keep on going over the blade as he's reaching at it and saying, no, no, please put the knife down. Like, my hands still burn just with watching it. Yeah. Well, well, there you go. Hey, I was just thinking of your movie, um, All Your Friends Are Dead there. And you you were saying how you wore uh, quite a few hats there. So I'm just wondering if, uh, say, you couldn't have acted in the film because everything was just too much. Who, uh, who... If you had like five million dollars sitting there, I know to, to, ca- to cast the the main guy, who who would you have? Who would ideally who would you have uh, cast it as yourself? Kind of, you know what I'm saying? Uh, hey, hey, everybody, it's Seth Rogen. I uh, I just want to come in. All your friends are dead. <laughs> Seth Rogen. I get compared to him. Awesome. I get compared to him enough, and that motherfucker. Another reason why I had to make all your friends are dead, and I went to Nick is. I had a script that I wrote three years ago called Video Nasty, and it was about a video store set in the early 90s 
where the horror genre is kind of on the decline. So after the slasher boom of the 80s, until Scream, really. Even though there was Candyman in there and a couple other really good horrors in the early 90s, it was on the decline. Uh, A lot of straight-to-video stuff. So Mm -hmm. at this video store, these characters who work there are kind of talking about that, how nothing's scary anymore. And they find a haunted VCR, and they put a tape in there of this movie they've never heard of, and it unlocks kind of a Ghostbusters-like thing, where the monsters and the slasher killers that appear on the box art of the VHSs in the store leave the VHSs, and in kind of a last action hero scenario, they have to fight and vanquish those monsters in the video store one night after closing. (laughs) So I had that script three years ago. Just last year, Seth Rogen, you can Google this, has just announced that he has bought a script from this young comedic uh, screenwriter called Video Nasty. And it's about a video store where the monsters come to life. No. (laughs) (laughs) That has happened quite a few times. And I, 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 I am never the one... Uh, to be like, they somehow came into my brain and they stole my idea. I'm going to have to start wearing tinfoil hats to keep them out. No, I I just think it's like what you said about the horror fans of the 80s and the 90s growing up. And they are the people who are making the media we're making now. That's why we're seeing so many film versions of things and cartoons and streaming things of things that we love or of properties that, you know, appeal to us. Well, um, my second question here, out of, um, out of all your ideas that are swirling around in your head these days, I heard you said you, you did some theater, musical theater uh, in mm-hmm. the past, did you? Have you ever considered maybe uh, writing some sort of horror type um, theater or musical I theater. Did. All your friends are dead the musical. Yeah, there you uh, go. Well, I, I kind of have that already. Oh. And, you know, a lot of things uh, that grow from past things that I've done, mm-hmm. um, this is a possible idea that was maybe going to be turned into a movie by, by an Australian film group um, about six years ago. And it just, it just never got off the ground because I think funding would be to make a movie musical is very expensive. Um, I wrote, produced, and staged in Chicago an original musical called Babysitter Massacre 78, the musical. You gotta be kidding me. And <laughs> Is that part 78 or 1978? <laughs> I wish it was part 78. It's 1978 and two references to Halloween. The original Halloween was called Babysitter Murders mm-hmm. and Halloween came out in 1978. Yep. So it was a fun way to do this retro. It takes place on New Year's Eve of 1978 and it is trope central. So like there's a song, uh, when a guy meets a girl, when a girl meets a guy. So the two friends of the girl are off stage left in a very summer nights kind of grease way, yep. talking to the lead timid girl who's a virgin while the two guys are talking to the nerdy bro guy, the nerdy friend saying when a, when a guy meets a girl, these are all the things you got to do of like basically treat him awful and be gross and blah, blah, blah. And then on the girl side, they're singing to her being like, when a girl meets a guy, you got to be subservient. Your personality doesn't matter anymore. Like you got to do everything they want to do, even if it's things that make you feel icky. So then there was another song where the high the douchebag high school football player and his lackey, uh, the two bro characters, uh, who have had some latent homosexual uh, encounters in the play, um, 
sing a song which turns into a pantsless tap dance called man called manly things where they talk about all the things that men should be doing and women shouldn't be like having sex with each other <laughs> oh god that sounds that sounds like a good time the, or so, the play the play itself not I would yeah you're like having sure. sex with men but, but you like know a good time. <laughs> your brother's like uh david should we talk about something um, but no, so like that—that that very much uh, deals with a lot of tropes and kind of like with perspective now of looking back on, like the PJ Souls character Linda in Halloween. Like, I showed Halloween to that cast because I'm like, these are your archetypes. These are who you are. Jamie Lee Curtis's friends in that movie treat her like shit. And yet she's all like, no, oh, it's the best I can do. They're my friends. And so, like, that is evident in the musical. And yes, if I had a studio, if we had, like, a legit budget and a studio behind it, I would totally try to earnestly make that into a movie version. Well, I, you you would have my support um, 100% in that endeavor. Thank you. Because that sounds like, like a good time, I tell you. All right, Ricky. Well, let's go over the details of the Kickstarter one more time, give you a chance to get that message out there. Yeah, all your friends are dead. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ricky Glore. That's R-I-C-K-Y-G-L-O-R-E. Or on Instagram, at Glore Ricky. And both of those pages, you're going to see me mentioning and giving you progress updates of the Kickstarter, which if you want to click the link on either one of those pages, you can go to it. Or you can go to Kickstarter and type in All Your Friends Are Dead. You can see the teaser trailer with the Kickstarter campaign video. And you can see the three perks, which are social media shout out for 20 bucks. Uh, we'll tell everyone how awesome of a person you are because you contribute to original art. For 50 bucks, you get your name in the credits and that social media shout out. And for 80 bucks, that coveted Blu-ray that I didn't mention before will have an exclusive commentary track on it only on this 100 copies of this blu-ray if we get picked up or bought or get distributed anywhere else down the road that commentary track's not going to be anywhere else than this blu-ray and as i mentioned before who knows what the life of this movie is on the road or when you would get a chance to see it if you're not one of the 100 people who can definitely see it by october 2022 we've already filmed more than half of the movie so you're not going to be contributing to a project that's never going to see the light of day. This thing's happening, but you could be a benefactor of the arts by help us by helping us make it quicker. And just know we are horror fans ourselves. So the product we're trying to give to you, watch the teaser trailer. We wanted to show you some gore. We hope that is alluring enough for you to go, fuck yes, I got to see this thing. Well, and I think the conversation we just had should be evidence enough that you know, not only are you coming at it from the purest of horror fandom, but, you know, you're a smart guy, you're a funny guy. This this is a project that deserves to be made and deserves to be seen. I appreciate that. That is all true. And I hope that my Friday the 13th besmirching hasn't hurt me too much. <laughs> I am sitting in front of a Jason Takes Manhattan original recalled poster of him breaking through the I Love New York. So I have my love for that series. Oh, it's yeah. just... I, my favorite parts of the of that series may differentiate between most Friday the 13th fans. 
Well, I mean, there's there's enough there that there's room for everybody. So You're right. There's 12 movies. I can't believe there's not a 13th. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, God willing, one of these days. But you never <laughs> and I'll also mention that we'll have all of those links in our show notes as well, just to you know have have them in one spot in case you weren't quick enough to write them all down, or know how to use the rewind button on whatever podcast player you're using. <laughs> We'll can be tricky sometimes as well. <laughs> right on well hey it's been a, it's been a pleasure chatting with you there uh, Ricky and we wish you all the best and uh, we're excited to see where uh, to see where it all goes you know what I'm saying that's awesome thank you guys so much for having me on and let me talk and thinking of those original super original questions at the end I really appreciate it <laughs> I had a blast thank you Take all right care, everybody man. that was Ricky Glore and uh, definitely check out those links in our in our show notes and go support that Kickstarter. All right, we're going to call that an episode for tonight, everybody. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time, and there will be a next time, be safe, treat each other well, and go watch some horror movies. That's how we do it in Canada. Thank you for listening to Watch Out. The opinions you've just heard have been made by three guys from Canada. Please keep this in mind and enjoy responsibly.